This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. For a lot of people, getting up in front of an audience and speaking means facing fear. Even doing it over and over again in a safe environment like Toastmasters can certainly be transformational. Today's guest is on a similar journey of transformation. On most nights of the week, you can find him at one or more of the many open mic nights at comedy clubs across the Big Apple, New York City. Ryan, who are we speaking to today? Today's guest is Aman Chopra. Aman is a recent graduate from the New York University Tandon School of Engineering, where he explored the intersection of emerging media technologies and live performance. In addition to his graduate work, Aman has been a public speaking coach for over two years, helping students conquer their fears and unlock authenticity. Between his graduate programs, his coaching practice, and being a 20-something single in New York City, Amon found himself still craving another level of challenge. This led to his pursuit of stand-up comedy. After performing night after night with mixed results, Amon recently entertained a packed house at both New York's Gotham Comedy Club and Eastville Comedy Club. Joining us from New York City, Amon Chopra. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I, I like how you started with engineering and then speaking. I feel in my mind, the two of them never went together. I, I've got to ask you about this. One would never think that you would hear the words live performance and engineering in the same sentence. Communication technology, maybe, but not engineering. Aman, what does that look like? I feel anything that is design is a form of engineering. And the course I took was the balance of art and science. How do I find the balance of art and science? There's science that can enhance the artistic mind that I have, but then engineering seems too robotic, almost too sciencey. And then the course, which I stumbled upon as I was doing research was this one at NYU, which was in the future of emerging media technologies. How are we going to consume entertainment down the line? And that is all going to be through engineering. The iPhone is engineering. Video editing is engineering. All of that had been created because of engineering, but it's actually art. I thought I was doing it only because I was Indian, but there was a lot more to it than just being Indian. <laughs> well, obviously, Aman, you've taken this thing to the bleeding edge because your graduate thesis was a combination of specifically stand-up comedy and a pretty hot topic today, artificial intelligence. So could you maybe share with us, how did that work? Yeah, I like that question a lot because... I only wanted a way to use my degree that I didn't have to do engineering stuff, but I can do artistic stuff through the medium <laughs> of engineering. Because anything that was too technical made me have to learn a software intensely sounded boring. I took a step back and I was trying to find a way where I would not be so scared to do stand-up comedy, which was my dream at the time. I remember I went to the comedy cellar when I moved to New York first in 2021. There were 10 comics back to back. And packed audiences, everyone was loving what they were doing. And all I'm thinking is, I can do this. And a little bit of my cocky side probably is thinking, I can do this better. But I never never went and I did it. I, I still went to school. I was doing my public speaking coaching at the time because I was comfortable in those regions. A year later, there's a comedian called Hassan Minaj. I was sitting at a dinner with two of my friends eating Indian food. 
and they were telling me that they're going for Hasan Minaj on Wednesday and we have an extra ticket. I immediately Venmoed my friend $60 and I went to the show and I had the same feeling again when I was there. And I'm thinking, wait, I'm in an engineering degree, but this is where my heart is lying right now. There's some inherent fire inside of me right now that I want to, I want to use it in the art of stand-up comedy. So when I started the, the thesis idea, ChatGPT hadn't come out at that time. I started doing research, created some ideas, and a month later, ChatGPT got released and my whole thesis changed. Now I have this tool and how can I use it in the form of live comedies, how that thesis started. And it eventually created this thing where I had an AI versus human roast battle, where humans and AI are roasting each other in a live performance. So we trained ChatGPT to become a roast machine and it roasted me on stage and I roasted the AI <laughs> in return. And the other show that was an experiment was live performance ChatGPT. So working with ChatGPT or any AI software in real time as a co-host, can it be as much as a human as a human co-host could be? And that was very painful because it's not funny and ChatGPT was not funny in real time. But in terms of improv and all those other things that I was trying to discover, it was a great resource to take me to the next step of comedy or to enhance the stimuli to make comedy in real time with live audiences. So that's how the thesis came to life. And uh, it took me into the world of stand-up comedy and doing open mics now. Wow. So Aman, when you used ChatGPT in a stand-up comedy setting, how did that work? Did you have the ChatGPT interface displayed on a screen? Were you reading it? Did you have it speaking? responses what was that setup like i tried everything i pretty much did everything because in academia they force you to target everything from multiple angles so i tried the chat gpt interface in real time you know those weird looking ai humans it's a human but it speaks like ai mm -hmm. so i tried one of those and then i tried using uh, the jerry seinfeld avatar version it's a creepy looking <laughs> seinfeld that was kind of bouncing on the screen as the representative of AI, but everything that the avatar was saying was AI generated. I even tried something with creating music and trying to do improv rap in real time. Uh, that was exhausting though. So I kind of got rid of that after doing one or two experiments. I did the text to speech and speech to text integration on my Mac. If ChatGPT generated an answer, I would basically make the Mac speak out that answer. So it's like the computer's talking to us. It would some, sound something like this. So I think that when you go to Canada, you should do this and you should do that. But it's funny because it's AI representing. And then I'm talking to the screen, but the AI can't hear me when I'm talking out to the audience. And then when I'm ready to speak to the AI, that's me generating a prompt, essentially. I put the mic on on my laptop, I speak into it, and the AI responds in real time. I, I could just imagine you sort of having ChatGPT on mute and being able to like insult it to the audience and whatnot, yes. and then bring it back into the conversation. I can see that making for quite a bit of humor. And in comedy, they have the thing of punching up and punching down. AI is one of the best proxies that I found uh, to punch up or even punch down because no one really feels much for AI. So I had that as a tool as well in real-time performance. Nice. <laughs> so Amon, you and I know each other from... A coaching context. We are both public speaking coaches. And so I met you and knew you as a funny guy, but had no idea at first about your comedy connection. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I even know you gave us a little glimpse of sort of the origin story of your comedy. But 
how long have you been doing this in earnest? And when I say this, I mean, hitting the comedy clubs and what is it like five, six nights a week, something like that. Yeah. I properly started hitting up the comedy clubs after I graduated. After I finished this AI thesis, I didn't want to look at comedy for another month because I was so frustrated working with these robots. <laughs> <laughs> and when was that? Just to give us a time. This was, so I graduated in May 2023. I did my final shows around the end of April, early May of 2023. And after that, I went back home to India to hang out with my family, kind of celebrate my graduation, relax. Then I came back and I had not done comedy for about three weeks to a month. And that fear came back. Like, oh, I have to go on stage and I have to be vulnerable and speak and make jokes. Speaking is easy for me at that point, but speaking and trying to get a punchline or a laugh every 10 seconds is something that really scared me. I think it was in July where I said, okay, I, I'm going to create a plan and I'm going to start going to more open mics now. I experienced blanking for the first time in years mm. at that time. So I'm like, okay, cool. This is good. This is the first time that I'm feeling fear in terms of speaking in a long time or this kind of fear crippling fear, crippling anxiety on stage that I'm, I'm blanking. Someone like me that doesn't know how to shut his mouth is blanking <laughs> was happening. Alternatively, then after that, I took some time. I did it on a weekly basis. And then I took a class kind of to find my, find a support system. So Toastmasters is great for that same setting. It, it, it's a community. It's an environment where people are working on the same thing and you understand the process a lot more of what it takes to get good at something or what it's like to have ups and downs. And so I joined a comedy class where a professional comic was leading it. And through that, I created some material, had a safe space, a safe environment. And uh, the next month after that, I told myself 30 for 30. First of the month to 30th of the month, I'm going to an open mic every night. If I miss one, I do two a day, the next day or something like that. And I, I hit 30 for 30 in that month. And that's where my fear disappeared after the fifth or sixth one. I now don't feel any any fear on stage. So I, I'd say where we were speaking right now in November of 2023, it's been about four solid months that I'm serious about stand-up and I'm doing it like a comedian should do it, to identify as a comedian, to get better, to see what it's like to live as a comedian, have more bad days than good days consistently and knowing that that's okay is where I stand right now. Mm. Aman, I seem to recall you sharing with me a while back the follow through of people who start stand up comedy versus those who make it past, I don't know, X number of gigs. Do you happen to have that data at hand? This is simply anecdotal in my eyes. I don't think comedians bother with doing research on these things much. But from what I <laughs> most see, most of them aren't engineers, right? Most of them aren't engineers. And if they are engineers, they don't want to be engineers. <laughs> I noticed it through four months of open mics, the people I consistently see and the people I see for one month. I don't even remember what I said, but it feels like a one in 10 or even one in 20 people actually stick to it and do it diligently and consistently. What does diligently and consistently look like to me? It's at least five times a week. I would say every day, pretty much. Or if, if not every day, some people have a full-time job. They take their entire weekends out and they focus on solid, effective reps of comedy or stand up through open mics or shows or whatever gig you can get in, t in terms of doing that again and again. And what that entails is, I'd say if I perform seven times in a week, I'm probably going to get one and a half to two good reps where I'll feel like, okay, this is what I want to do. And the other five times, it's like going to a meditation session where there's nothing but silence in that audience <laughs> and being okay with that. <laughs> 
I like that meditation instead of crickets, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at least crickets make some noise. Meditators don't. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> what, no. what about hecklers, though? It's it's one thing to face silence. Have you had to face a hostile audience? Uh, not yet. I mean, I would say I, I wish I had a hostile audience. At least they're interacting with me. <laughs> so I don't even want to say fortunately. I'm saying unfortunately. Uh, for me, I, I I like crowd work. I like everything about interacting with humans in real time. It's where my natural comedy lies. It's the prepared portion of stand up that is my weakness right now, or something that I've been putting a lot of effort into. Uh, hecklers are great because it's like it's like being on the dinner table and arguing with your best friends on a on a regular basis, and being so comfortable with yourself that I guess one can kind of rebuttal and have that moment in a shared experience setting with an audience. I've not experienced the heckler. I've had people walk out uh, in a show because of a joke I might have made or tell me that they didn't appreciate something. And I take it as feedback and a gift uh, because that's like character building for me. That's amazing because, I mean, you're brave in terms of where you started because I'm thinking back to my icebreaker, which is the first speech that you do in Toastmasters. And I was on every word, like it was my last. And I was just so nervous. And I think if somebody said even boo to me, I, I would have been afraid to come back. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel you. Aman, I want to bring up another topic here, something that I know is very close to your heart. I've heard you many times talk about how much you value and crave and strive for authentic expression. And I think I've even heard you say that your pursuit of stand-up comedy is also a pursuit of authentic expression for you. Can you talk about what that means? What is authentic expression? And why is that important to you? The first place where my mind goes to is wearing a mask. So we have a mask when we're at work. Uh, if you have the unfortunate life that you have to work a full-time job, which I'm fortunately in a different situation. But I remember that time when I had to work a full-time job at a company and I didn't feel like I was myself. So there's a mask at work. We're a certain person when we're with our family. We're a certain person when we're with our friends. We're a certain person when we go and order a coffee. We're a certain person at the airport, whatever it may be. And to me, it's all about integrating into one mask. Can I be the same person everywhere I go? Now, that doesn't mean being shameless or or rude or crass wherever one goes. Uh, that's something people might expect of me. But it's about being comfortable in who you are. And if we give ourselves the freedom to be ourselves, we actually give others to the freedom to be themselves, is how I look at authentic expression. I think it's the reason why I've sustained friendships through the years. I think it's the reason why I have... I, it, I find it effortless to talk to anybody. I find it, in fact, my favorite part is to meet a new person and getting to know their story because I don't judge myself, I don't judge them. And the amount of times now as I've allowed myself to be myself, I've allowed others to be themselves. That's what authentic expression means to me. I have two gigs as a public speaking coach and then as a podcast host as well. And now I do stand-up comedy. I feel like the only place I still have my mask is at stand-up comedy. Because that's where I feel the fear. That's where I feel like I, I, I don't belong sometimes. In the current time, at least as we're recording this, and I hope that's not the case a year from now. So for me, that's what authentic expression means, that I can be myself on stage. I can be myself on stage like I am with my friends. What's holding me back on stage? And for some people, that is, can I be myself at the coffee shop? Can I be myself with my family? 
and everyone has their different level that they're at or stage in their life. And I encourage them to pursue what's next in their journey. And for me, that's stand-up comedy right now. It would seem to me that quite often stand-up comedians, that's what they do. They put on a mask. They do things to try to get the audience to laugh or did I misinterpret that? Yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's definitely a tool, right? Where if a laugh happens, it's the live real-time feedback and as a form of acceptance in some way. And that's what we want. We want acceptance. We want to be liked. We want to be, you know, be ourselves in these places. The level that I'm looking for right now is it's much beyond a laugh now. Getting a laugh is, it's, it's, it's a tool. But for me, it's a way of being. Tools are, tools are pausing, right? Pausing is a tool. But what's the difference when you pause while speaking as a tool and you pause by, while speaking as a natural part of you? So I look at it as integration. And uh, same thing with comedy. Like, can I trust a story? Like if I'm giving a one minute story and the laugh is only at the end of a minute, but the story is so important because it's an authentic expression to me. Maybe I'm, I'm being vague because I don't have direct examples in my life yet. At the same time, I, I see that as a, as that's, that's the next level. You know when it's fully authentic and you know when it's crafted through tools. But are there telltale signs? Like, I'm just trying to understand if mm. you can, as a coach, how can you tell if someone is being authentic or how can you guide them in terms of um, being their better authentic self? That's a great question. I was running a live workshop yesterday with a group of international students who said that English is my second language and I feel I can't speak. And Every time they went in front of the whole audience and did a rep of whatever public speaking rep I was giving them, uh, English didn't seem to be the issue. It seemed to always be confidence. Now, the telltale sign was when they were giving a speech and it sounds like they're thinking too much. It sounds like they're not present with me. Hmm. It sounds like they're a little bit disconnected with themselves because they're trying to find content rather than find themselves. Now, this is an audio podcast, so it's probably hard to show my face of what I'm thinking or what I see. But essentially, telltale signs are a little bit niche. And I guess after seeing hundreds and thousands of people do public speaking reps in front of me, I can tell at this point. But some signs would be, think about when you're eating dinner with a friend and that friend is not present with you. Their, their eyes kind of wander to the side or they're overthinking too much for responding to something. People say I'm thinking because I want the right answer. But to me, is I think of, okay, what are you actually feeling in this moment? What's the truth inside? There's no word for it in my eyes. There is simply like, you know, it's the truth. You know, it's authenticity. You know, they're being themselves. And that's kind of how I view it. Either like some form of disconnection, eyes rolling, thinking too much, not being present. Those are some telltale signs to me. Yeah. Or they could have something on their mind too as well, but. Then that yeah, like I'm super hungry or I, I got to go to the restroom. <laughs> Those are some common ones. Yeah, or my parking meter's expired. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Hate those. <laughs> okay. So, Aman, someone is being authentic. They feel they're being authentic. They, they've done all the exercises. They know what they have to do. But I'm thinking about even in Toastmasters, sometimes we'll do a speech. We feel that it really didn't go that well. My question to you is, what advice would you give to them to help deal with it? And also maybe include, how would you deal with it yourself? What are some of the things you tell yourself? Literally only one thing, go do it again. <laughs> Is that simple? 
is that difficult and that simple at the same time. The the answer is that simple. The execution is that difficult. In that 30-day challenge, I had an amazing open mic on day six that made me feel like I belonged there. Day seven, I went in the afternoon to this place called The Stand. It's a really famous club here at Union Square in New York. And I go on stage and I blanked. This was the second blank I had. I I had a part and I completely blanked and I stayed in the silence for, I'd say a minute. Now imagine if I don't talk for a minute right now over here, you would have a long edit to to do in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> so that minute, I remember people staring at me, yawning, giving the look of get off stage, giving the look of, oh, whatever, when is this guy going to finish? And having to sit through that because I can't find what I want to say was painful. Mm-hmm. I went off stage. I went off stage and it, it bothered me for the rest of the day and it made me want to quit in that moment because I had 20 people in front of me that were staring at me and waiting for me to finish. There was this dude in the front that looked like Lex Luthor's cousin and I will never forget his face. And he, he had the biggest yawn and he moved his hand like, you know, get off stage type of in that way. And I still stayed on and I found what I wanted to say. But it was what you'd call a bomb in comedy where it was a bad rep or you performed poorly. And that was not a good execution. I was so sad and I felt, oh, I felt dejected. I felt that, oh, what is the point of this whole thing? And what did I do? I, I, I went again <laughs> the next morning and I killed it. I did awesome. And that completely disappeared. But that was very important for me because now I know what will happen if I'm blanking on stage or if something catches me off guard. I know what it feels like to stay on stage for one minute quiet and have people wanting me off stage. At that same open mic, I took one of my friends for his first open mic at the same time. And he did really well at that open mic. And then he told me, dude, I know you blanked on stage for one minute but you looked more confident than my entire performance when you blanked. Mm. So for me, that was great words that, okay, there's nothing wrong with blanking. No one even remembers I blanked and I stuck with it. I stuck the landing. I made sure I finished no matter what. I made them laugh at the end, but what stuck with me was the blank or the failure or the bad presentation or the bad rep or an awful speech. And I went again and I did better the next time. So that's a simple and difficult answer. Go again, go again the next hour, go again right now if you can, uh, is the best way to overcome those things. Okay, so encourage them to go again, but also find something that they did well. Because you, obviously someone had said, you did this part well. You said you did better than I did. Yeah, and that's where like communities come in. I think Toastmasters is a great one or community supportive communities for open mics, as bad as they sound, are actually very supportive communities. If I would have broken down on stage, I know all the 20 comedians or wannabe comedians would want to support me and would give me a pep talk or tell me what was good about what I did. So finding that environment, most environments in the world, even in the corporate world are not really cutthroat. If we are human, others are also human with us and they give us those words of wisdom that are kind of like the words we need to hear in the time to keep going and keep pushing. Don't isolate yourself as well. So don't worry about the Lex Luthers, who happens to be Superman's arch enemy, for those of you who are not familiar with the character. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was yawning because uh, he he probably didn't get enough sleep the night before. That's what I tell myself. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Now we know what Amon tells himself. (laughs) (laughs) Lex Luthor doesn't sleep. (laughs) 
Aman, we've spent a lot of time on the tough moments, which I think is is really valuable because we all have them and people often don't talk about them. So I really appreciate you diving so deep into that for us. And at the same time, I'd love to know what's been your favorite stand-up comedy moment so far? Yeah, I I have to actually think about it. My favorite moments of, of laughter are it's what got me into stand-up comedy is when I'm at the dinner table with my friends and they're laughing so hard that they can't drink water or eat their food. <laughs> and that's because I, I'm, I feel so comfortable being myself in that environment is where, where it starts. In terms of on stage, I remember my very first performance in front of a live audience. The tickets were $7. I didn't tell anyone I was doing stand-up comedy at the time. This was in February of 2023. I had a class show that I went to in some uh, dungeon in Brooklyn and I called two of my closest friends. They came and they sat in the back and I performed for 10 minutes and laughter after laughter after laughter. And I, I felt, I felt on top of the world. My friends were, they had to play two roles at the end of the show, right? Either they pretend they don't know me or they brag to everyone that I'm their friend. (laughs) And they chose to brag to everyone that. I'm their friend at the end of that show. And that showed me that, wow, this is a good moment and I can keep going. So every time at the end of the show, something happens where someone comes to me and says very funny, especially when I don't have that belief in myself in that moment are some of my favorite moments. At this point, I've got enough laughs where I don't have that one experience. Oh, those laughs were, those laughs were exhilarating or it was, it was something that was out of this world. I know how to get them now, but I know what a, what a true laugh would feel like where I've put in the work and I know where every laugh is coming uh, through that, that I put in the work and it's kind of like showing an art piece and people are admiring that art piece in real time is what I love about the process of comedy. That's wonderful. Now putting on your public speaking coach hat for a moment, what can you tell our listeners to help them move further along? Well, let's call it the spectrum from fear to confidence. Yeah. So everyone stands at, at a different place. I found benefits in communities. I've said that before multiple times. Try to find a community. Online is now the best way to do it, no matter where you are in the world. You could be in some remote part of British Columbia and there's still internet over there and people find their communities and find a way to to grow through that if you're not in a city. Otherwise, if it's something that's more live performance oriented, like stand-up comedy, uh, find that community in the city you're in and start there or try to move to the city. If you're a younger person with no responsibilities, 20 something single, like Ryan introduced me as, <laughs> so I have that benefit for myself. Uh, so number one communities and not communities that are over analyzing a concept, like it's an academic paper communities that are actually doing the reps and the work. So whatever it is you'd like to work on, there's communities for poetry, there's communities for storytelling, there's communities for comedy, there's communities for public speaking. Start somewhere and bring it into your awareness, bring it into your identity and start doing the reps. Most people are already great speakers. Honestly, these places that exist as a public speaking coach, I tell most of my clients, you really don't need me. My job is only to make you believe what you already are. I think you're already there. My job is to make you believe it. And the way I do that is by making you do the work. So I'm kind of like a a coach and a tutor in real time. I'm kind of like that strict parent that is forcing their child to do the work. Uh, Like an Indian parent wanting their kid to do their homework and (laughs) eyeing them 24-7. So something like that. But um, as nice and caring as an Indian parent as well. (laughs) 
And of course, there's Toastmasters. <laughs> there is indeed. Absolutely. Amon, I, another question I've never asked you before. As you mentioned, you're young, you're single, you love to mingle. He's handsome too, by the way, for the ladies that are listening. Let that sit in your imagination. Let that sit in your imagination. But here's the point. Here's my question. How far do you want to take this pursuit? What's your ultimate goal when it comes to comedy? Uh, I like this. So I remember when I graduated, I, I saved up a lot of money when I was 20 years old or 21 around that time. I, I was doing some apartment subleasing and I had an internship and I was crashing with multiple people. So my rent was pretty much non-existent. And I, as I graduated, I saved a bunch of money and I decided to to travel the world for four months. I went to, I think, about 15 countries or so across Asia, Latin America, North America alone. And it was great for my character building. And I found love in different cultures. I found love and uh, being in different places, visiting people and going to, not going to places, but going to people and going to mindsets and different environments that existed. So my dream with comedy is globalization. It's a world tour. Can I start with a world tour in some way? I like the medium. Number one, it's authentic expression. Number two, it's a global medium. Any country that speaks English, everyone knows what stand-up comedy is. Am I able to take that across the globe, no matter which city in the world, explore the world and have that opportunity? The next level, right before this podcast, I was out with my best friends who are visiting New York and we went to a two Michelin star Thai food restaurant and had some amazing Thai food. And then after that, I took them to my favorite dessert place near Broadway over here in NYU. So my dream is to take my personality and have a world tour food show if I can in some way. Can I express myself and my love for food globally, bring other countries on the map with the foods that I have tried and show that to them, I don't know, through a tour, have a camera crew, bring people that are interesting on that show as well. And I'm sure there's many people that do that, but that's something that really interests me as well down the line, beyond just selling audiences across the world, having a show where I get to do cool things as well and share that with the world. It's very, very inspiring. Looking forward to your global world tour. Hopefully you'll make it into Canada. (laughs) (laughs) And folks, if you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have and you're inspired or you feel some member of your family or friend will be inspired, please, please, please share this episode with them. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org, Google, Apple, Spotify, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Ryan. Aman Chopra, you are one to watch. And I would like to ask you as we wrap up here, for listeners who do want to follow your journey, who want to see what you're up to every step of the way, or even for people who are listening from, I don't know, Netflix, who want to produce the Aman Chopra World Tour special with food. (laughs) What's the best way to get in touch and track your journey? So I shared this at the start of the call. I'm very new and I'm I'm not rebranding myself. I'm branding myself right now. So y'all can find me on LinkedIn and I'm updating my social medias and all my new contact info this coming week. So I'll share it with the Toastmasters team and they'll put it in the description of the podcast. Wonderful. Super. Aman, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really fun to hear your story and have some time to just listen to everything you're up to, everything you've been through and... Uh, Greg and I can't wait to follow your journey and see what's next for you. 
the foodie fun guy on Netflix. Love it. Can't wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friends. Thank you for having me on. It was, it was a fun time. Ever imagined a book written just for you? Introducing Books.ai. We're not just another bookstore. We're the future of reading. Our state-of-the-art AI adapts each book to your specific needs, creating a personalized masterpiece. Visit Pooks.ai now, that's P-O-O-K-S dot A-I, and use the promotion code SPOTIFY for a whopping 50% off. Pooks.ai, your personalized book awaits.